I invite you to turn in your copies of God's Word to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, our sermon text tonight is from verse 1 through verse 21. Let me say what a joy it is to be with you tonight. I speak for my whole family when I say we would want to be nowhere else this Sunday evening on our vacation than right here with you. I bring you greetings from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Atlanta, and also many of you will know your former pastor here, Harrison Perkins. Harrison and I are getting to know one another, and it's through him that I got to know your pastor, Andy, briefly and and received this kind invitation to be with you. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. Hear this word, for it is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word written for you and for me this evening. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Amen. Would you pray with me as we ask for the Lord's help as we consider his word together? Our great Father in heaven, how we thank you for the truth and the power of your word. We thank you that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of all of our hearts. Our Father, we thank you most of all that it is by this word that you lift up our eyes to see the glory and the beauty and the goodness of our Savior, crucified once for all and forever risen to the highest heavens. How, Father, we pray 
that you would lift our eyes to this Savior, that we would see him high and lifted up and also the good shepherd who comes near to draw us to himself, to feed us, to bind us up, to care for us. Oh Lord, I pray that as we consider this word tonight, we would know what it means to have none other than Jesus as our good shepherd, possibly even for the very first time. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible is an enculturated book. That is to say, it was written over many centuries in particular times and places. And naturally, the Bible reflects the cultures of those times. Now, none of this is to deny the fact that the Bible is also breathed out by God. It is inspired, every word of it, inerrant, true, relevant, sufficient, authoritative for everyone who reads it, particularly Christians today living in London in 2023. Even so... Christians in London in 2023 sometimes need to work a little extra hard to understand the imagery and the enculturated meaning that we find in certain parts of Scripture. And that is certainly true this evening. I imagine that if we were to pool all of our life experiences, however much knowledge we may have in this room, we may be a little thin on first century sheep farming in the Middle East. There may be more knowledge about that here, in fact, than where I come from in the United States. And yet that is precisely what fills our text this morning. Imagery from first century sheep farming as it teaches us about Jesus. Notice in our text this evening there's no real narrative. There's no rise and fall. There's not even much of a dialogue. It's one extended illustration. Verse 6 calls it a figure of speech. All of it draws on sheep farming in Israel. And so as we consider this text tonight, we have to get into this old world. But as we do, what we're going to discover is that these words are as fresh and as relevant to you tonight as when they were first written. I want to look at this text with you in four points. And before we begin, I must say I'm indebted to Don Carson, a New Testament scholar, for his commentary and his writings and work on John's gospel, his wonderful work on this passage. Uh, Carson will have influenced a number of the comments I'll make on it. But as you listen to these four points from this text, I want you to consider what exactly are they saying about Jesus and how do they apply to you particularly. The first thing that Jesus tells us about himself is that he is known by his sheep. He's known by his sheep. You will know that the scriptures speak of the Lord's people brought into the church as sheep. Now let's think first about sheep farming in the ancient world. Typically, the sheep would be held in some kind of walled enclosure at night. And this enclosure or sheepfold would typically be attached to a home, although larger sheepfolds could be out in the field. And they would be held together, perhaps even multiple flocks belonging to different families. And the families would come together and hire a watchman, a gatekeeper, to stand at night to to protect the flocks from threats and preying animals. 
And then in the morning, as the sun was rising, this this bleary-eyed gatekeeper would keep an eye out for the particular shepherds of each flock who would come to the enclosure and lead his flock and his flock only out to pasture. The watchman would recognize the rightful shepherds of each particular flock and would open the gate only to them. Now, you might have seen a documentary Maybe in Scotland, using a dog to round up sheep from behind, or where I come from in Texas, a cattle rancher on horseback rounding up the cattle to move it. But that's not the way that it happened in the Middle East. No, in in this day, each shepherd would have a distinct call for his flock that the flock would recognize. So you can imagine three to four flocks all mixed up together in this walled enclosure and the shepherd would give his particular call and lead out his own sheep. This is what Jesus is saying in our text tonight, isn't it? Listen again to the opening verses. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him... The gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Notice this shepherd knows his sheep by name, and they know him. Verse 4 says, they know his voice. This is how Jesus characterizes his relationship with his own. And this knowledge of the shepherd, this heeding of the shepherd's voice, is protecting to the sheep because it makes them discerning. Verse 5 says, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Isn't this a wonderful illustration of the way that salvation works? How God has designed it. Out, Out in the cacophony of the world, where countless thieves seek to steal, and many strangers are calling you, the gospel of Jesus Christ goes out. And for so many in this world, this this gospel is is a waste of time. It's it's utter foolishness to heed the call of God's own word. But, But scripture tells us that when God the Holy Spirit works by and with that word in our hearts, he breaks our stony hearts, enlivens our hearts, and enables us to recognize that word for what it is, as true and relevant and powerful drawing us to the Savior. And it is by that word and through the Holy Spirit that God himself unites us to Christ as our Savior through faith. I wonder if you've ever sensed when you're worshiping here, when you're hearing the word preached, or maybe when you're studying the word on your own, you think to yourself, something different is going on here. This isn't just one person speaking. God is doing something through his word. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that God in that moment unclogs your ears and and opens the eyes of your heart to see who Jesus really is. You see him and you see him with eyes of faith and you, you say in your heart, yes, you have promised to receive us, poor and sinful though we be. You have mercy to relieve us, grace to cleanse and power to free Indeed, Jesus has all of this for every one of us. And Jesus is saying that this is how salvation works. He he calls his own out of the world. But Jesus is doing something more in this text as well, isn't it? 
He's, he's not only describing the internal spiritual call of the Holy Spirit to beget faith and bring you to Christ, but he's drawing a contrast. Jesus draws a contrast here between himself and the neglectful, even devious, previous religious leaders in Israel. That's, after all, what the, what the sheepfold really is here. It's the sheepfold of Judaism. And throughout the Old Testament, God's chosen nation had suffered terribly under terrible, rebellious shepherds and watchmen. I want to read to you just a couple of Old Testament passages that recount this for us. First, from Jeremiah 23. Listen to what God says. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. And then this other one from from Isaiah chapter 56. God says, all you beasts of the field, come to devour all you beasts in the forest. God is saying, "It's, it's open season on my sheep, Why is that the case? Well, God says, his watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Come, they say, let me get wine. Let us fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow will be like this day, great beyond measure. God is rebuking the particularly the false prophets in Israel's history, the false shepherds, those who were asleep at the watch, those who allowed God's people to be exposed to foreign armies, who didn't call them back from their sin to faith in the God of Israel. Now, to be sure, there were faithful prophets that God raised up who courageously spoke the true word of God to the people, but God is telling his false prophets who failed to call the people to repentance, he's saying, you are all strangers, not shepherds. You are thieves, not watchmen. And as we fast forward to John chapter 10 in the middle of John's gospel, Jesus is picking up on all of these Old Testament texts and he's saying, I am different. I am different. I know the sheep, and my sheep know me. And friends, if there's any third Old Testament text that stands behind John chapter 10, it's the text that we read earlier tonight from Ezekiel 34. Let me read just a a portion of it again. It begins the way those Old Testament passages I just read began. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not the shepherds feed the sheep? What have they been doing? You eat the fat, God says. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the straying you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. And you read along in Ezekiel 34 until you get to something unique. Listen to what God says he will do. Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. 
And God goes on. And this first person pronoun is repeated again and again and again. God says what he himself will do. I will bring them out from the peoples. I will feed them with good pasture. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. You see, friends, when Jesus... When Jesus is positioning himself as the shepherd of the sheep in verse 2, the one who knows his sheep, the one who is known by his sheep, he is declaring that he himself is fulfilling everything that Isaiah has said God himself will do. Jesus is coming as as Yahweh God Almighty, as as the divine Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, anointed to be the Messiah, to come to his own, and to save them, to keep them, to protect them. And all this is what it means for Jesus not just to be a good shepherd, but to be the good shepherd. He is the divine Messiah. And in all of this, we learn in our text that, that his hearers did not understand what he was saying to them. And so Jesus goes on. He's still drawing on sheep farming, but he shifts the illustration a little bit, and we come to a second thing that we learn about Jesus as the shepherd. Not only is he known by his sheep, but secondly, Jesus cares for his sheep. He cares for his sheep. Notice he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, verse 7. What does he mean? Well, again, we have to go back to Middle Eastern sheep farming, We are now, Carson says, away from the enclosure and out in the field. Perhaps we're far from home where there is no fortified enclosure. So the the faithful shepherd would actually make an enclosure, maybe against a a rock wall with a, a bunch of branches. And he would leave an opening for the sheep to go in. And at night, the faithful shepherd would himself lie down in the gap so that he would both be shepherd and door. I want you to notice a number of things uh, with this illustration. Number one, there is only one door. Only one door. Uh, Jesus is saying, as he says elsewhere, you, you must come to God through him as the door, or you may not come at all. But all who enter through the door that is Jesus Christ, finds that the care he gives as a shepherd is exclusive and unique and wonderful. Notice what he says in verse 9. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Okay, Jesus is is making the illustration a little bit more explicit, but but he's not letting go of the metaphor. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And then he uses the language of going in and out and finding pasture. It's it's the language of security, of abundance, of provision, of full supply. And Jesus is saying, this is what happens when you come to God through me. When you receive and rest in me as your shepherd, you come out and find abundant supply. He clothes us in his righteousness. He frees us from the dominion of sin. He rescues us from the darkness of death. He makes us God's own children. And as Ezekiel 34 likely stood behind the earlier verses, surely Jesus has in mind here also Numbers 27, 16, and 17. 
In that passage, Moses prays to God as he leads the people through the wilderness. We read Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. I want you to think personally for a moment whether you have a sense, a personal experiential sense of the uniqueness of the abundant care that Jesus gives. Maybe as you think back over the past year, think of all that that he has done for you. The Lord Jesus gives you forgiveness of all of your sins as you rest in him. He's given you his word to sustain you. He's given you a church to love other believers to link arms with. He's he's given his spirit to guide you. He's given you unexpected provision of life and of health. And no doubt as many of us have gone through countless trials, certainly trials that are unimaginable represented here, can you not say in your own hearts, he's never betrayed me. Lord Jesus has been my faithful shepherd through every aspect of life. He's been my faithful friend all my days. And you know that That if you were to breathe your last breath, you would know that he would keep you through death and bring you to himself. This is the kind of shepherd we have, one who cares for his sheep. Jesus is saying that the choice to, to follow him versus the choice to follow any other purveyor of false teaching could not be more stark. Look at what he says in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, who who is this that steals and kills and destroys? We could say that it's everything and everyone who denies Christ and his gospel. It could be false religion, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, liberal, modern, so-called Christianity. It could be secular saviors, politicians, all manner of cults or heresies. It could be addictions, sinful escapes, fantasies. It could be the siren call of expressive individualism, the notion that the final end and goal of life is simply to have psychological satisfaction, even if, even if we deny reality. And Jesus is saying all of this ultimately destroys you. And he says there are There are people, tragically sometimes even in the church, who who not only do not care whether they degrade and exploit the sheep, but but who are willing agents of that kind of destruction. You can think of anyone who presents an anti-Christian view of human nature, the human good, or human dignity, or human salvation, or human destiny. You can think of corrupt leaders, Dictators, certainly, the the Stalins, the Maos, the Putins of the world. You can think of swindlers, prosperity preachers, ideologues, heretics. And and, and we find this not only out there in the world, but, but there's a warning and a call for those in here in the church, certainly, even leaders of the church, because because the Apostle Peter will pick up on the theme as he describes what a pastor should be. The word pastor means shepherd. And he writes this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, 
not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. John Calvin wrote, They alone are good shepherds who lead men straight to Christ. New Testament scholar Leon Morris says something similar. He says, all who seek to bring life to others, but who do not themselves enter life through Christ, stand condemned. Now, of course, this doesn't mean you can't learn from people. It doesn't mean you can't have a boss or a mentor or a friend. But you dare not let them lead you. You dare not let them give you the promise of life if that promise comes apart from Christ. He's the one who cares for his sheep. He's known by his sheep. He cares for his sheep. And the life that he gives is not only unique and abundant, it comes by way of a third thing we learn from our text. Jesus dies for his sheep. He dies for his sheep. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now we've already seen what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd knows his sheep, calls them by name, leads them, provides for them. He's not in it for the money. A good shepherd doesn't exploit the sheep for shameful gain. So when we come to verse 12 and we read that that a good shepherd is not like a hired hand who runs when he sees the wolf coming, we might think that this is what Jesus does. Uh, That he simply doesn't uh, run away. When the wolf comes, he's like young David when he was the shepherd boy who stood his ground in the face of a threat, who was willing to risk his life for the sake of the sheep. We might conclude, therefore, that the good shepherd is prepared to give his life. And certainly that's true. But again, Jesus is taking this illustration and he's stretching it almost to the breaking point because what Jesus is saying is that he's not only willing to risk his life, He actually intentionally gives his life for his sheep. Jesus himself lays down his life for his sheep. And not to lead them exposed to the threats of other animals, but he lays down his life so that we can be his sheep. It is in the very act of laying down his life with total authority, as he says. He lays it down. And he has authority to take it up again on the third day in resurrection life so as to secure the salvation that he gives when he calls us by name. We come to the one who has once for all died and is raised forevermore and who by his dying and his rising frees us from the clutches of sin and Satan and death. Jesus says this is the charge that he's received from his father from before the foundation of the world, that he would be the good shepherd who would rescue his sheep through dying and rising and call them to himself. Isaiah 53 puts it so well. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. How does Paul put it in the New Testament? Colossians 1.14. He says, Jesus canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friends, it's because Jesus is such a good shepherd that we can say that he paid it all. 
All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Jesus is not just a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He's the only one who could do it. And he's the only one because he alone is the eternal divine son who took human flesh to himself. And verse 16 then tells us the really good news. It says, Jesus says he has other sheep that he must bring. You see, the first sheepfold was the sheepfold of Israel, the sheepfold of Judaism. But now Jesus expands that sheepfold to include the whole world. And he's saying there are non-Jews. There's a countless multitude of people, people who are bought and paid for by his life, whom he's now bringing into union with himself. Verse 16, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so my question to you tonight is, Are you in that flock? Are you a member of it? Have you heard the shepherd's voice? Have you come through the door that he is? Are you following him? Can you say today that Jesus' dying and rising has made any difference in your own life? Jesus is known by his sheep. Jesus cares for his sheep. Jesus dies for his sheep. Fourth and finally, we learn that Jesus changes his sheep. He changes his sheep. Verses 19 through 21, the Jews listening to Jesus know all about sheep farming, but they do not yet know him. We read in verse 20 that there is a division among them, as is so often the case in John's gospel. And many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, they're not quite there yet, but they're recognizing that there's something about Jesus. And when they ask this final question, can a demon open the eyes of the blind, we are reminded that John chapter 10 follows John chapter 9. Because in that chapter, as you may know, Jesus heals a man who is blind from birth. He gives him physical sight, tells him to wash in the pool of Siloam. And yet eventually Jesus gives him spiritual sight as well. And through the course of the narrative of John chapter 9, we get a glimpse into the treatment that this man receives from the hand of the Pharisees. Not only do they reject the fact even that he was blind from birth, but they even haul in his parents to interrogate them to see if, in fact, this man really was blind. They eventually kick this man out of the synagogue, demonstrating that they are the kind of false shepherds that Jesus has been talking about. And then toward the end of John chapter 9, we see these wonderful words, that outside the synagogue, outside the religious center of Israel, Jesus finds him. Jesus finds him, calls him to himself. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man says, And who is he that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, it is I who am speaking to you. Well, this is a theme in John's gospel, isn't it? That Jesus changes those whom he calls to himself. He gives new spiritual sight to his sheep. And then he goes about changing them. And as many in our text call Jesus insane and others question him, Jesus is still in the business of calling, caring, saving, and changing his sheep. The man who is born blind, 
was changed through his encounter with Jesus when he heard his voice. Back in John chapter 3, Nicodemus is changed as Jesus talks to him about the new birth. The Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 is changed as Jesus told her about the living water that he could give. The very next chapter in John chapter 11, we would see Lazarus gets changed dramatically as Jesus calls to him. What about you? I wonder how Jesus is seeking to change you. How is he seeking to transform you to be more like himself? This is what the church does. This is the place where Jesus changes his sheep. D.A. Carson speaks of the church so helpfully, not as, a, not as a club that you get recruited into, where you come with disparate interests and you have something in common here. And so, so you come here with pre-existing interests and you just, you just sort of stay how you are as you come together once a week. No, no, it's not a club. The church is, to use the language of our text, the church is a sheepfold where Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, is is calling his own by name. He's loving them, he's caring for them, and he's changing them. If you know him, you know that you are a, a sheep who is known by Christ, who is cared for and called by Christ, who's redeemed by his death, who's being sanctified by his life. Brothers and sisters, may the Lord in 2023 make us into a people more and more who day by day can say together, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want for anything. For the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But our good shepherd has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray together.